Today we have a special guest, Carrie Holt, uh, who delivered a great message at one of our Vertical Church Women's events. Not only do I hope that you'll be blessed by her message of growing through the challenge of having a special needs child, but I hope that you'll take a look at her website, TakeHeartSpecialMoms.com, and her book, The Other Side of Special. So tonight, we're going to talk about dwelling in hope. And first, I want to read Psalm 62, 5 through 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for each and every woman that you orchestrated to be here and those who will be watching later online. Father, I pray that you will just help me to step out of the way and that your Holy Spirit will speak through me in the words that um, I believe you've laid on my heart tonight for these women in this point in this time. Thank you, Father, for being with us and for being our rock and our refuge. In Jesus' name, amen. So our topic for tonight is dwelling in hope. And honestly, sometimes I feel like hope can be a really hard word to define. It feels elusive or unreachable. And sometimes, especially when we're struggling with questions that I know we are all struggling with in this room, why, why COVID? Why are we going through this? Or other trials that we're experiencing? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does he allow trials in our life? One of the definitions of hope is I was just studying and thinking about this tonight comes from Romans 8, 24 through 25, and this is the NIV. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, I'm not sure about all of you, but I know myself, I have a hard time waiting. <laughs> I have a hard time being patient. But when we're talking about hope, we're looking at God's hope for us in eternity. Another one of my favorite definitions of hope is by a man named Adam Young, who has a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. And he is a Christian counselor and a pastor. And he defines hope as groaning inwardly while waiting expectantly. So hope actually holds two things together our sorrows and our groaning over things that have not happened or we have lost and waiting expectantly for God to redeem those things or to redeem us or to redeem our futures or the hope of heaven. And sometimes those two things wrestle and they conflict against each other. It's funny because the word groaning is actually in scripture quite a bit, and I've been coming across it a lot lately. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, 
even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. So I think we can all relate a little bit with groaning. I think about the groaning that this talks about of childbirth, the groaning of after a hard workout or the aches and pains of aging. We groan and are under the weight of our trials and the weight of hard things when our longings aren't met. And when we're asking God for things and it doesn't seem like he's coming through or we say, you know what? I was expecting to have this perfect family with no kids with disabilities, that's what I have, and that's not what happened, or whatever reality it is that you're facing right now. So I wanna ask you a question, and that is, what are you longing for? What are some areas of your life that you're groaning over and longing for? And this begins to require a wrestling with God. So. Right now, I'd like to introduce just a little bit about my story and why am I up here talking about hope and how has hope been important in our journey. So this is my family. My husband and I have been married over 20 years. We have four great kids. Um, Our oldest son on the far right in white, he is 17. He's going to be 18 this summer. And the next one, who's in blue, he's going to turn 16 actually on Tuesday. So I almost have two drivers in the house, which is crazy. And then our son, Toby, he's 14. And then our daughter is 11. So August 31st, 2006 is what I affectionately call my D-Day. We had two little boys at home. Our oldest two boys are 18 months apart. And I was expecting our third child, and I went in for a 20-week ultrasound, and the doctor came in after the ultrasound and said, there's something wrong with your baby. We need to send you over to Ohio State for all this testing and level two ultrasound and everything. And we were crushed, absolutely crushed. Just a month earlier, my oldest son had gotten glasses, and I thought that was the end of the world. (laughs) So I'm a young mom, and all of a sudden, my kids are not perfect, which we all know our kids aren't perfect. But all of a sudden, I was hit with this reality that my life was not going to turn out the way that I had expected or the way that I thought. And we grieved a lot. And then I kicked into what I do best, which is planning mode, and... I had 20 more weeks of being treated as a high-risk pregnancy, and um, so Toby's condition is called spina bifida, which literally means a split or open spine, so it occurs before a mom, even though she's pregnant. The bones around the spinal cord don't fuse together, and he was born with an open hole in his back. It's similar to a spinal cord injury where there's paralysis kind of from that point on down, even though sometimes nerves fire weirdly. And then he also um, has hydrocephalus, so that's extra fluid in the brain, and he has a device called a shunt um, to drain that, because if he didn't have it, his head would continue to swell. So when he was born, he had surgery the day he was born. He was born at Riverside. He was transferred to Nationwide Children's. He um, he had surgery at 5 p.m. that night. And four days later, he had another surgery to put in a shunt, and then he came home. And... Then my parents brought my older two boys home. We had three kids, three and under, in my house. And I look back and go, I don't know 
how we survived. I was nursing every two to three hours. We were having to do a medical procedure on Toby every three hours, and sometimes those two things did not coincide. And so I was running on, I had a C-section, postpartum hormones. Yeah, it was just really crazy. But then 10 days later, life again did not turn out the way we expected. So I began to notice things, and I was trying not to panic, even though I was a younger mom, but you know, I had had two kids, I had two babies, but I, he was projectile vomiting. I could tell he started to have a noise when he was breathing. And when they send you home from the hospital, they give you this binder with all these names of these doctors that your child's gonna see over the course of their lifetime, but they don't tell you what to do when what's happening doesn't fit in those categories. All these ologists, these specialists that we see, it didn't dawn on me to take him to the ER until I finally called a friend and she said, yeah, I think you need to take him in. I just, I didn't know. And so we did. And four days into our hospital stay, he ended up in the pediatric intensive care unit. And by this time, we found out his vocal cords were paralyzed, his airway was collapsing. He had obstructive apnea. He had central apnea, which means anytime he was in a deep REM sleep, his brain wouldn't allow his body to breathe. So we would, he would be on a CPAP mask for a couple of days. They would wean him to a nasal cannula with oxygen, and he would cry, and he would code. He would turn blue and stop breathing, and then we would ride the roller coaster over again. We did that for about two weeks, and then finally a doctor came to us, one of the ICU docs, and he said, you know what, we really need to consider a trach. So it's a surgery in the throat um, to put a special tube in there that would help him breathe and bypass his collapsing airway. So we did that. Then he had surgery put in a feeding tube. And 64 days later, we brought this medically fragile baby home with a trach um, on a ventilator 24-7 and hooked up to a feeding pump 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm going to fast forward very quickly through 14 years. Um, but Toby currently is still on a ventilator when he sleeps. Um, he no longer has a feeding tube, praise God. But he has had almost 60 surgeries. He had six surgeries last year. Five of them were between um, the end of July and December in the middle of COVID. And it was crazy. And so we can have this tendency when life doesn't turn out to be as we expect to have some reactions to our hope, our longings, our groanings to not be fulfilled. And one of those things is that we just become cynical. We just expect everything in life to go wrong. And I can tell you that I've wrestled with this because Toby has a shunt and it is a man-made device that is wonderful and great, but it fails all the time for him. Some kids last for years. For some reason, his does not. And so we have just learned to hold things lightly, but there are times when I don't pray expecting God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine because I don't think that's gonna happen because I know I've walked this road for 14 years with him and we've been through so many surgeries and seen the walls, inside walls of Nationwide Children's Hospital more than, than most people. Another way that we can react to our longings not being met is that we just become unrealistic and we act like nothing is wrong. 
and we hide our grief. We hide all of that underneath. We don't talk about it. We put our mask on and we say, everything is okay. And that's not a reaction to our longings not being met either. But there is a third option. And I think most of you know what this is. And the third option is the resurrection of Jesus. You know, lately I've just been struck by the fact that if God is all-knowing and he exists over the past, the present, and the future, why did he decide to create Adam and Eve knowing they would sin, knowing that he would have to send his son to die for us? It's one of those questions I wrestle with. I don't really know. But to me, it's amazing that God came to earth. He knew what he was going to suffer. He knew that he would be subjected to thirst and hunger and grief when Lazarus died. And his own betraying him, his own best friends denying him to go to the cross to die for our sins so we can have the hope of the resurrection and know that even if everything we desire here on earth, even if all of our longings are not met, they're going to be met someday. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, as a result of listening to Meeting with God Daily, I hope that your passion for Jesus Christ is growing in such a way that you're learning to share your faith with others. You know, that's something that our church is committed to, equipping men and women to share the good news of Jesus through personal witness and church outreach. And if you don't have a church here in Columbus, Ohio, we'd love to have you join us this weekend. Go to verticalchurch.life. So this is where I want to talk about the second part of that definition. Adam Young says we are groaning inwardly while waiting expectantly. So let's talk about what do we do when we're waiting? It's so hard sometimes to be patient and to learn to be patient. So I have what I'm calling the four G's. No, this is not a commercial for a cell phone network, but four G's that I want to share with you tonight. The first G is about grief. This is something that God has taught me a lot about in 14 years of having a child with special needs. Grief is when we name our loss. And in that verse I read at the beginning in Psalms, we pour out our hearts to the Lord. There is an author named Andrew, I can't remember his last name. It's a book called The Life We Never Expected. And it's about he and his wife raising two kids with autism. And he says this, we need to learn, especially those of us from Western cultures where mourning is so understated, how to grieve in a way that gives due weight to what has happened to us. Otherwise, in our attempt to cope with the situation, we can trivialize the pain and so fail to deal with it properly. Why is it important to grieve our losses? I think about what we've lost in the last year or so. Time with friends, relationships, our church community, family, loved ones. So I want you to think about those things that we lost. Have you taken the time to properly grieve that? And what I mean by that is pouring it out before the Lord having an honest conversation with him, naming your losses and grieving over them. Grief is not something we can force. It's something that sometimes happens upon us, but do we take the time to say, God, 
I'm angry about this. I am upset. This is not fair. This does not feel right. And if you're questioning whether we can talk to the Lord that way, I say, yes, you can. Because you see it in scripture. We see it with David. We see it with Job. You know, when I, re I read the book of Job early on in our journey with Toby, and I remember at the time I had this very Sunday school version of the book of Job. Here's a man. He has all these wonderful things. He has a great family. He has many riches. And then he goes through all these trials. His family dies. He loses all of his riches. And all of a sudden, God declares that he is great and blesses him again. But when you read through the book of Job, that is not the case. Early on in the book, he even curses the day of his birth. He says, I wish that the night I was conceived, that that night would not have happened. And what that tells me is that we have the freedom in our relationship with God to come before him and to talk to him about our hurt and our pain and our suffering. I can tell you the day that I really learned about grieving and I, I lost it on a librarian and at a library in Columbus. <laughs> so at this time, our kids were like six, five, and three, and our older two boys were in our Christian school, and Toby was in a special needs preschool, and he had just been in the hospital for like five days, we, and we left the hospital. We had no reason really why he was in no explanation. And then when we left the hospital, we went to an appointment, found he was going to have to have another surgery. And at this point, I think he had had like 12 surgeries or something. So I'm hurrying around and trying to jump back into life really fast, not properly dealing with my emotions and everything that had happened during that time. And I went to the library and I was honest and my daughter was a toddler. So she had like chewed on the board books. <laughs> And you think they would be durable, but they really weren't. And so I was honest, and I went in, and this lady was like, well, I'm sorry, that's going to be like $35 or $40, something. Like, library binding and paying for books is really expensive. And of course, I was like, do you know what I've been through this week? And I was like crying, and I told her I was never coming back to that library again. <laughs> And I didn't. I really have not walked through the doors of that specific library branch since then. Um, but you know what? Later on, the Holy Spirit said, Carrie, you're grieving. You've had to put armor on. You've had to squish down your emotions. You, because you have to advocate, you have to um, be able to think clearly. And honestly, this is going to be part of your journey. His whole life his whole life, and you've got to learn to come to me when life doesn't turn out like I expect. And what that is, is when you go back to Job at the very end, in Job 42, God says to Job's friend Eliphaz, he says, you need to go and ask Job to sacrifice for you because only Job has spoken rightly of me. And I think, wow. Job said a lot of really crazy hard things and all of his lament and his loss. Why would God say that only Job had spoken rightly of him?
And I think it's because he was brave enough to take his griefs and losses to the Lord. So the next G about waiting and how do we wait and how do we have hope while we're waiting for the glory of heaven? The second one is grow. So I think tonight I might be, I know I'm talking to a lot of women who maybe have walked with the Lord a long time and maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Let me encourage you just to take the next step of faith in your life. You cannot withstand the storms if you don't have an anchor. And I think about, I never lived in the South. I don't know if any of you have lived in the South. I've never lived in an area where we've had, we have hurricanes. But when the hurricanes are bearing down on those houses, they're not putting their storm windows in. They're not putting their storm shutters on. They might be closing them. But that stuff has already happened. So I really learned in the times of peace when things are calm is when I've got to dig my roots down deep. And there's a song by For King and Country called God Forgive Us. And these words, I woke up this morning with these words in my head. And they say this, we've prayed the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night. Couldn't cut our doubt with the sharpest knife. Oh, God, forgive us. Silence isn't comfortable. We want drive-through peace and instant hope. Our shallow faith has left us broke. Oh, God, forgive us. This is very convicting to me because I am one of those people. I want drive-through peace. I want to say, God, just give me peace right now, and he just gives it to me immediately. Give me hope right now, and he just gives it to me. But I know that that's not the case. It takes wrestling with him and digging deep into the word of God during the times of peace and trust. So Toby was five. He had a surgery to fix his shunt. (laughs) And a week later, he had seizures. And I, you know how people have a bucket list? I have an unbucket list as a special needs mom. Um, These are the list of things that I don't want to experience with my special needs child. And for some reason, seizures were on the top of the list. I know a lot of people who have epilepsy and they, they deal with this on a daily basis. But for some reason, it was just very scary to me. And we woke up early one morning. We have nursing care in our home. And our nurse was yelling. We had to call an ambulance. We came to the hospital. We're in critical care in the emergency department. And he starts seizing again. And this time it lasts four to six hours. And they can't get it to stop. And my baby, who didn't speak until he was almost three, because of the trach, you lose the ability to speak. I didn't know if he'd wake up. And I didn't know if he would wrap his arms around my neck again and tell me he loved me. And it was really scary. And I remember thinking, Lord, where are you? Did you turn your back? Didn't you know this was on my unbucket list? I did not want this to happen to me. Were you looking the other way? Because really, Lord, this slipped past you. And through some encouragement of a friend, I was reminded that God wasn't looking the other way. I had to look back at his character. I had to look back at all the things that he had carried us through and be reminded that God had prepared us for that moment and that he was going to be with us yet in this fire too. 
And I remember thinking, haven't I proved my worth to you, God? Haven't I already been faithful? I think sometimes when we walk through difficult things, we think we get a free pass on future sufferings, and that's not the case. I think most of us know that, but for me in that moment, I was like, wait, wait, we did our time. (laughs) We're done. We don't deserve this. But yet God reminds me over and over again that this world is cursed by sin. We are going to experience suffering. There may be harder things even in our all of our futures, but God is with us. And so we've got to grow those roots down deep. We have to trust Him. And when the fear comes and the doubts come, we need to go back to the Word of God and grow and remember who God is and how He's been faithful. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio, located at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Meeting with God is a listener-supported ministry which strives to share the good news of Jesus Christ each day. Our prayer is that this radio program will lift people's eyes and hearts to our Savior, Jesus. If you would like to be a part of the Meeting with God team of financial donors who make this ministry possible, please visit our website, verticalchurch.life. We are thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And as always, we hope to meet you back here at the very same time tomorrow for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.